Well, my name is Giorgio Mernacci, and I'm the worship pastor here at West Shore Free Church. This is your first time here. Trent is still away on a well-deserved vacation. We could say amen for that, right? He's actually on his way back uh, from the beach. He was texting me and just saying how much he was suffering for the gospel um, at the beach. And so I, I said I'd pray for him and that we'd pray for him uh, as he drives back. Well, today, uh, I have the privilege of preaching today uh, as we continue our series in Proverbs. And what we're going to look at is speech. What does the scripture, what does the Proverbs say on, on our words and the power of our words? And I found that I was actually preaching a little over a week ago. And I was on the phone with my wife. And I said, hey, Noel, um, I'm going to be preaching in, you know, 10 days. And she said, wow, that's, that's great. Uh, yeah. And I said, yeah, it's going to be great. And she said, well, what are you preaching on? And I said, well, I'm preaching on speech. And her next words were, well, that's ironic. <laughs> and it was tinged with love and sarcasm. So it's, it's, it's all good. It's all good. Well, I'm going to start by reading to you an article. The title of the article says, Family's piety lasts 12 seconds after leaving church parking lot. And I'm sure that some of you can relate to some of what happens in this article. It says, the Granger family's piety lasted for just 12 seconds after leaving the parking lot of First North Baptist Church Sunday or West Shore Free Church, right? Sources reported, having enjoyed a sermon on 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16 titled, Holiness in Our Lives and having engaged in warm, loving conversation with friends on matters of church fellowship, the family of five's reverie was almost immediately shattered as their Chrysler Town and Country minivan made its way home. Despite the heartfelt emotion and resolve the worship service had engendered in the parents, Lloyd and Mary Granger. While the car was still turning onto the main road, their five-year-old son, Hunter, punched his brother Taylor in the face, quote-unquote, because he wanted to. In turn, the eight-year-old took away his siblings, Jake and the Neverland Pirates toy, resulting in a high-pitched, sustained yelling that in turn caused 15-year-old Sophie Granger to launch into a monologue about the low mental acuity of her younger siblings. At just under 10 seconds... Ms. Granger responded with a hissing rejoinder that everyone needed to turn around and quote-unquote, just stop it. Who said that before? I have. The Granger patriarch, whose thoughts were focused on how he was going to examine Peter's exhortation to holiness within his workplace and personal life, was jarred out of his contemplation by this cacophony and responded with a somewhat vague, angry threat of the regret all would feel they did not listen to their mother, quote-unquote, that instant. And at this 12-second mark, any vestiges of piety in the minivan had been completely eradicated, resulting in a discordant row and personal sniping that only subsided when the warring family called a fragile ceasefire on the promise of lunch at Cracker Barrel. <laughs> I can relate to that, right? Right? We, we come here on Sunday morning and we sing, we sing these songs, pray God, praise God from, from all blessings flow. We have loving conversations, and then we get in the car, and it's like our tongue just forgets everything that we just did, and we start saying harsh words to one another. We start sniping at one another, and the, this is the issue with the tongue. The tongue produces good, and it produces very bad fruit. It's powerful. We can praise God in one moment and hurt others we love the next. And in this choice of how we use our tongue, it matters greatly. It matters greatly because God says it does. Talking and using speech, communicating, it's an inevitable fact of life, right? We talk every day. It seems we could talk a lot. 
Studies have shown the average person says about 7,000 words a day, which is about 50,000 words a week, which equates to about a 250-page book every week that you speak. And for those people that hate to read books, just speak into a voice memo and then read it back. I mean, you're, you're basically verbalizing a book. And also the introverts in the room, you're probably thinking like, I speak one page a week, and that's fine. You just average out all the people that talk a lot, like me. The best and the worst times of your life have been accompanied by speech. Relationships, many times, it hinge on speech. And in that speech, you're, you can cause relational war or peace. You can maim others or lift them up. You can affect the community around you. Your words, they matter. And this doesn't matter how many friends you may have in real life or on social media. It doesn't matter how big your family is, how influential your circle is, whether you speak on a stage or you speak in a small office in a cubicle. We all speak. We talk to spouses, children, parents, friends, coworkers, those we come in contact to just in public places. The tongue is used a lot. And I don't think this applies just to verbal speech. This also applies to what we put on social media, how we react to others, how we disagree with others on social media. And as we see that God, God is the first one to speak. He's the one who created words. He's the one who owns words. If we just think of Genesis 1, right? And God said, let there be light. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And God said, let us make man in our image. He used words to create the entire universe. And as we know that he is all powerful, he could have done any way to create what he created. He could have just thought it. He could have winked. He could have waved his hand. But in his perfect intentionality, he used words. Our God is a God who speaks. And as we are his created and we are created in his image, we are his creation that also speaks. And I think about in corporate worship, just as we were singing, there's a reason we use words in worship rather than just sing woes or oes or doing a Gregorian chant. Because there's power. When we sing, praise God for all that he has done, praise him for he has overcome, the grave is beaten, love is won. That's powerful. It changes us, it transforms us. And the Proverbs and Scripture, they show us how truly powerful our speech is, how it can get us into trouble when we use the tongue recklessly. And at the same time, it also prescribes the solutions for our poor speech and a manual on how a Christian should use their speech and use their tongue. So the first point I want to look at is what are the weight of our words? So turn with me to Proverbs 18, 21. We're going to be jumping around quite a bit. It's going to be a little bit like a sword drill. So if you like that, follow along. Otherwise, we're going to have the scriptures on the screens as we go. This is Proverbs 18, 21. And it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. And here's the main point of today. As there is real weight to the words we speak, God's desire is for us to prune our speech in order to produce life instead of death. I'm going to say it one more time. 
as there is real weight to the words we speak, God's desire for us is to prune our speech in order to produce life instead of death. And what this problem, proverb declares is that there's true power. And it's not a question of whether you produce fruit with your speech, but what kind of fruit it produces. What kind of fruit you, fruit you produce. Whether it's life or death. There's, there's no neutral ground here. You can tear down or you can build up. You can crush others or you can lift them up. And your fruit touches every part of your life. It can destroy relationships. It can help your marriage to flourish. It can harden hearts. It can point people to Christ, point them away. And when we think of the fruits of death that we can speak, words of hate, malice, slander, harshness, or fruits of life like kind words, encouragements, affirmations of love, words of mercy, your words, they have a trajectory. They have a direction. So the question is, what kind of fruit are we producing as the people of God? So I, we have, uh, Noel and I have four kids, ages 10, eight, two, eight months. And our house is a blast. And it's a blast because it's fun, and it's a blast because it's sometimes extremely explosive. It's just, right, it's crazy. It's just, you know, the kids are running around, and it's super fun. And so every day around 5.30 p.m., I don't know what it is. I don't think Noel is giving them any type of like steroid or anything like that. But around 5.30 p.m., it's like something goes off in their head and they just get this giant burst of energy. Do, do the parents know in the room I'm talking about? This giant burst of energy. And it's like they could just be running around the circle, be hitting the wall and like not even notice. And so usually I'm coming home at this time and as I'm walking up to the house, I can already hear the shrieking up to the door, and it's not always bad shrieking, and sometimes it's great, like they're having a, a great time. And so, you know, I just need to prepare myself, and I can't wait to get in there and join in. And so I open the door, kids are running around, and I, I know in my head that Noelle has been with them all day, and at this point, she's probably exhausted. She's maybe cooking dinner if she's able to get around to it, and as I'm walking in, I'm looking at the kids, I see there's no injuries, there's no blood, everyone's alive, like, like she's done an awesome job today. Amen? Yeah. So as I'm coming in, my choice is either to produce life or death in my speech. And uh, sadly to say, I, I've, I've definitely failed at this. Uh, I feel like more than I've succeeded. Um, but the Lord is working in me. And so when I come in and I see toys all over the place because they're literally just throwing stuff across the house and they're screaming, my, my choice is either to go up to Noel and say, babe, you're doing a great job. Everyone's alive I mean, you look beautiful. It's just, it's, and the mirror could be shattered, whatever. And how can I help you? How can I help you today? Like, you're doing great. Or, if, you know, I, I, I and I, even if I had a hard day, and I'm tired, and whatever, the, the, the words that can come out to produce death is I come in and I say, what is going on in here, right? Can the husband say that is not a helpful word to say to your wife when you come home? No, no. And, and in the times that I failed, I, I've seen the fruit that it produces, right? It can produce for her a feeling inadequate. It can produce in her um, a feeling of shame. And, and, and so I see the trajectory of my words. And James, he, he was aware of the Proverbs. He was aware of what the Proverbs say about the tongue. In James 3, he talks about the tongue. And what he says is that the tongue is like the rudder of a ship, 
It's so small, small part of this giant vessel. But they turn the rudder, and the whole vessel turns in that direction. In the same way, the tongue can turn the direction of our life. And he goes on to say that it's, the tongue is a vile poison, and that no man can tame it. I think in the same way that the steering wheel on a car, you have this little wheel, big vehicle, it's heavy, and if you're jerking that thing around, most likely you're going to crash into someone else and you're going to hurt someone else. You're probably going to hurt yourself. It's the same way with the tongue. When we steer our life with the tongue recklessly, reckless things happen. And as we see that there is death and life and there's power in the tongue, I want to look at some of the effects of death or life in the tongue. The first one is this. Your speech can provoke or it can calm. Proverbs 15.1 says this. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And it's just so practical and it's so true that when you're in an argument with somebody or someone's coming at you, to produce life in that situation is to say a soft answer. Because what that will do is it will produce calm, it will calm the strife which produces life. It will soothe wrathful attitudes. But when anger meets more anger, it produces death. I can't think, uh, and, and a couple weeks ago, when Trent spoke on parenting, I just received so much from that sermon. And I remember one of the points that he made that, that resounded with me so much was about not escalating the situation with your children. And I can't think of a situation where my son or my daughter, uh, perhaps they were really angry, lashing out verbally, where uh, yelling perhaps, right? I can't think of a situation where to calm a situation, I yelled and that worked, right? I yelled back or I was angry and then my child goes, you know, Father, thank you for screaming back at me. I now realize that I'm a sinful boy and I will be silent and repent. No! It ends up just raising the temperature. It ends up more yelling and more anger and more, and more sin. So when it comes to our speech, we're responsible only for how we speak. So in those situations, perhaps it's a coworker that's, that's trying to start up an argument with you. A soft answer, it turns away wrath. A second effect, your speech can either wound or it can heal. Proverbs 12, 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So good. I'm going to say it one more time. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And what this proverb is honing in on as far as speech is regarding what happens when our words are thoughtless, if they're flippant, if they're reactionary, if they're reckless, instead of being prudent or careful or spirit-led with what we're saying. It is like we are taking a weapon and we are thrusting it into... I mean, that's vibrant language. And have you ever been reckless with your words where you saw the hurt that it caused? And perhaps you're on the receiving end of hurtful words. Perhaps it's years ago and you still remember the wounds that that are, are deep from someone that said some very unkind things to you. And I think in the church, one of the ways that we do this, it's the most... And this is just from experience. I think it was with slander. 
And I'm not even saying really malicious slander, but it can just be a gentle slander, just a little slander, just a little criticism about this or that person. I can't believe it. Did you hear that this person did this? Or did you, I don't understand why they did this that way. It doesn't have to be overly malicious, but when we're slanderous, there's, there's three people that get hurt. And the Midrash, uh, which is an Old Testament commentary, says this way about, uh, regarding slander. It says, the evil tongue, it slays three. It slays the slanderer, the slandered, and the listener. And I think about it like a grenade. Like you throw it and it explodes and shrapnel goes everywhere and it hits multiple people. And as the body of Christ, we should seek to always have union, always have unity in our church. And if we're slandering others, all we're doing is wounding. Ephesians 4, 29 says this. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So instead, the wise, the wise man, the wise woman, speaks in a way that, that speaks grace, speaks the gospel, speaks love, mercy, kindness, encouragement, and the tongue of the wise reminds others of who the ultimate healer is, it's Jesus. And we really are like, we can be like doctors with our words. And you think about a doctor that if he's rash with how he goes about to fix the situation of a patient, if he's not looking at what the lab result says or he doesn't really care about trying to diagnose it and not uh, prescribing the, the right uh, diagnostic tools, if he's reckless with that, the patient is probably gonna be hurt worse. They may not recover. But if there's a doctor who case, is prudent with his care where he, he, he looks over and, he, and, he just, and he's very careful, methodical about trying to help a patient he usually will be able to prescribe the right medication and the right treatment in order to heal that person. In the same way, that's how we are with our tongue. We want to be healers, not reckless. When you're sitting with that, that friend who is, is suffering, perhaps from cancer, or that marriage that you just heard, that friend that just said that their marriage is being separated or destroyed, you have the power to heal. You have the power to bring healing through your words if you're wise with your tongue. And prudence, we need it so much. I, 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 again, my kids, you know, kids are not the most prudent with what they say, right? And uh, my son, William, he is uh, just a bundle of energy and he says crazy stuff sometimes, just, just crazy stuff. And uh, so I remember we were going to a friend's house uh, two months ago, and usually when we go to a friend's house, like, for the first time, I, I just try to, you know, give him a little prompt, like, hey, think about what you're going to say when you go in here. You make sure you're just not saying whatever comes to the top of your head, because he's very, he's very much like that. Okay, Daddy, okay. And so uh, we go into their house, and he, you know, kind of surveys the land of the house inside, looks around, and he looks up at uh, my friend, and he goes, your house is small. And uh, I just said, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Next effect. Your speech can help or hinder your witness. Proverbs 10, 20 through 21 says this. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. 
The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. With our speech, we have a chance to show those around us choice silver, to show, show gold that's pure, which is the gospel, the treasure of all treasures. And if we talk like a fool, if we talk like the world, if we don't look, if we don't sound different from the rest of our culture, they won't take us seriously when we talk about the gospel. They won't. So when we're in our workplace and perhaps there's coworkers that are involved in coarse joking or, or profanities or, or, or vile talk, if we're just joining into that to try to be relatable, because there's a difference between being relatable and being identical. And so if we're just trying to be relatable and, and we're, we're not careful with our words, when we get down to the hard things, when we have an opportunity to share the gospel, it, the, our words will not carry weight. They will be as... The wicked, which their speech has little worth. Instead, we want to speak righteous so they see the choice silver. And we need to be feeding people with who Jesus is, with our words. I, I, I even think about just the, the two terrible shootings that happened yesterday. And the one that happened in California a week and a half ago. And people are so angry right now in our world and there's a story uh, from that, that festival in California and somebody was yelling at the shooter, why, why are you doing this? Please stop. And what he said was, it's because I'm angry. And as, as we see the hate, as we see the anger that's being spouted out today, we have to be agents of change. We have to show people that there's a better way, that there is hope. And our words can be the difference in that with those around us. And so you may be thinking, this is great, really practical stuff with how to speak. Um, and, and yeah, I, you know what, I, I, I may talk kind of rough sometimes and I may say profanities and I may like to do coarse joking and all that, but I can turn that off whenever I want to. You may be saying that, and, and if we're thinking that way, we are missing the deeper point with our speech, because it does not have to just do with our mouth. It has to do with our heart. This is point number two. Your speech, it displays the state of your heart. Proverbs 23, 15 through 16. My son, if your heart is wise, this is a father speaking to a son. Just, just see it as like, as like the Lord speaking to you right now as you are a child of God. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. And what the writer does there is what he says is that when the heart is wise, decisions are also wise. And in those wise decisions, your speech will be what is right. Because your heart sets the tone for the words that you speak. And in Luke 6, Jesus blatantly speaks about this connection between your speech and the heart. And he says in Luke 6, 43 through 45, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by, its own, known by its own fruit. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. 
and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. And here's the key. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Jesus doesn't just say that part, at part of the heart your mouth speaks. He rather says it's the very abundance out of the very plenty of your heart that your mouth speaks. Your speech is like a window into your heart. If you're ever walking down a street and you have all these storefronts and they have those big windows and perhaps there's a glare on the window you can't really see in. And so what you do is you go up closer to the window and you kind of press your face up against the window see what's going on inside. That, that, that window is the same way with your speech. It displays the state of your heart. So if you speak harshly, it can show there's anger in your heart. If you speak selfishly, it can be evidence that selfishness is in your heart. If you have uncontrolled profanities and you talk vilely, shows that there can be recklessness and impurity in your heart. And Paul Tripp is an author. He writes this about speech. People aren't my problem. Situations are not my problem. Circumstances are not my problem. Locations are not my problem when speaking poorly. My problem is in my heart. And, and listen, you can will your way to speaking good things for a time. You can speak false encouragements and empty platitudes. You can say nice things. People that are unsaved say nice things, right? The difference with, with those that follow Christ is that our words, because we're speaking the truth of Christ, have life. They don't just placate. They don't just calm. They don't just make people feel good. They're words of life. And what this whole point is, is that Jesus cares more about the state of your heart than the mechanical nature of your tongue. When we miss the connection between the heart and the tongue, what ends up happening is we prescribe the wrong cures for our speech problems. We end up relying on sheer willpower or our own strength to speak lightly and which usually results in legalistic living and ultimately not trusting in Christ for the power to transform us. Which brings me to my third point, is the application point, pruning our speech. How do we do this? How do we change our speech problems? Well, based on the heart, what Jesus says about the heart is that there has to be heart transformation in order for there to be speech transformation. James 4 so after James talks, goes in this, this long diatribe about how terrible the tongue is and how destructive it is, he ends up here with the, with the solution, the prescription. He says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded and so what he's saying here is, knowing that the tongue is destructive, the only way to change it is for us to have our hearts purified. And in order for us to have our hearts purified, we have to submit ourselves before the Lord. We have to draw near to him. And he's faithful to draw near to us to transform our hearts. And whatever we set our heart on, that's what usually is grabbing our affections, right? Right? That's what grabs our affections. And as our affection, what our affections are from this, our speech communicates those affections. You know, if you, if you talk to me long enough, you'll know that hopefully I love the Lord 
uh, that I love my family, that I love the Miami Dolphins, although usually that speech produces death because of how disappointing and depressing it is to be a Dolphin fan. And I love food. I do. I really do love food. But when our affections are misplaced, our words suffer because we are speaking as someone whose love is not primarily set on the things of the Lord. It's set on other things. If my wife, if she doesn't have my heart, if she doesn't, if my affections are not primarily on helping our marriage, on being a servant to her, but instead they're on my own comfort, my own life, my own wants, my own desires, then my words and my actions are gonna follow that. And it's gonna be pretty evident. And so heart transformation means speech transformation. The next way to prune our speech is that we have to have mind transformation. So as with the heart, one loves and trusts, with the mind, one believes. And listen to Romans 12 too. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And in order to have mind transformation that affects our speech, we have to set our mind on the things of God. That means meditating on his truth. It means meditating on these Proverbs and these scriptures that we've heard to remind us of how he would want us to speak and what the prescriptions are. It means perhaps turning off that, that program that you love so much, but every other word is a profanity. Or what they talk about is just things that are not of the Lord. As you're fi- when you f- let that fill your mind, it will change how you speak. And so it, there has to be self-control with that. Or perhaps it means not surrounding yourself with that group of friends that are constantly joking in a, in a way not befitting of a Christian. They're just, their mouth just has no self-control. It means to rather sit under the authority of the word and let it soak your mind. To surround yourself with people that speak the truth in love, that love to talk about Jesus. You know, the, the saying, it, it's so true that we become what we look at in the same way whatever we set our mind to will influence how we speak. And Paul is saying in this passage in Romans is that for us to discern his good will, which is for us to speak as a people who are holy, our mind then has to be renewed. Another way to prune our speech, purposely and authentically build others up. It's a training, it's like exercise, exercising that muscle. Proverbs 16, 24 says this, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. We should look for real ways to authentically encourage one another, brothers and sisters in Christ, not just out of flattery, but but really looking for ways to build others up with our words. And I remember there's a pastor that, uh, he was a worship pastor at a church I went to in the past, and I, I love this man dearly. Uh, he had the gift of encouragement like you would not believe. And 
his words were not just kind of flippant, and he, you, could, you could tell that it was authentic. It came from a heart that loved Jesus. And I remember the people on our team, and even on the worship team, and even in the church, uh, they just gravitated towards him all the time. Like, it wasn't just that he was the worship pastor, but people just gravitated towards him because just how encouraging he was with his words. And, and I was always built up, always, whenever I spent time with him. And I just remember that example. I was like, I, I want to be like that. I want to be like, like, a, like, a, like a follower of Christ who sees the best in my brother and sister and lets them know, and let, lets them know about it. I think a question in this area is, are, are you quicker to criticize or encourage someone? What's your first inclination? Another way to prune our speech is to prune it by speaking less and listening more. We talk a lot. In this culture, people just love to talk, say things, just without thinking. Proverbs ten nineteen is just so practical. It says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. And this next one is, is one of my favorites on speech in the Proverbs. Proverbs seventeen twenty eight. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. Have you been there before? You just need to just shut your mouth, right? And so I remember uh, about eight years ago, uh, some of you may know this, but I used to be a registered nurse. Not a, not a fake nurse, but I was a real nurse, registered nurse. And uh, in my time as a nurse, I remember meeting a lot of police officers. We li- we, I worked in a level one trauma center, so they were always around. And, and so I got to talking with them. And I, I was always, I've always been fascinated with that line of work with law enforcement. And uh, through conversations, I basically gathered that they don't like giving tickets to nurses. And the reason was, well, if we gave a ticket to you and then we have to come in for care, like, we don't want you taking care of us. And I thought in my head, like, I would never change the way I, I but I just nodded. Yeah, man, that's, that's true, you know. So I remember eight years ago, Noel and I are coming back from a social function and we uh, come up to this four-way stop. It's, it's, it's night, it's the evening. Come up to a four-way intersection and I need to make a right. And I didn't notice that out of the shopping center, in order to make a right, there was a right lane. You know, it was like kind of those ramp lanes to go right. Like that was the only way that you could make a right. Well, I didn't see that. So I went straight and I was stopped at the light. And I saw a sign right next to me and it says, you may not turn right from this lane. And I thought, well, this is stupid. <laughs> and so I said to Noelle, I'm going to turn anyway. And she said, I wouldn't do that. And these are my words. And this is where you can tell I was a fool. It's okay because I'm a nurse. <laughs> so the light turns green. I don't listen to my very prudent wife. He likes to follow rules. I don't like to follow rules sometimes. Turn right. And as I'm turning right, I see peripherally blue lights come on. And it's a cop on a motorcycle coming through the intersection, and he gets right behind me. And I'm just thinking, Lord, what are you trying to teach me right now? <laughs> and my wife is, she is hotter than a hornet, and I don't mean her looks. Like, she's just, <laughs> which she was. She was hot. She is hot. But she was, she was red hot with anger, righteous anger. And she says, I told you, I told you not to do it. And then she says, I hope you get a ticket. 
And I'm thinking, babe, we have the same bank account. I don't, <laughs> I'm confused about that. So I get pulled over. The cop comes up to the window and he says, hey, how you doing? I said, and I already, I'm like, officer, I'm sorry. I was in the lane. I didn't know, you know, I, 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 saw, this, I saw the sign and I turned right anyway. I'm very sorry. And he said, yeah. And I said, well, and, and listen, I wanted to tell you, I'm a nurse. This next part is great. And so he looks at me and he goes, hey, you have a nice night. Turns around, walks back to his car or to the motorcycle. And I can feel the steam <laughs> coming off, like physical temperature just raised in the car like 80 degrees. And I'm trying not to grin. I'm looking straight ahead. God, give me self-control. And so I'm just thinking, even though I'm a fool, I would like to seem intelligent, so I will shut my mouth. And before I can even fi like finish that thought, my wife says, do not say a word. <laughs> and so we drove home, and that was the longest, quietest 20 minutes of my life in the car with her. And finally, pruning our speech Listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. This is, this is huge. This is huge. We say a lot, the Holy Spirit is inside believers. He lives inwardly within us. He's giving us power. We sing songs about it. We talk a lot about it here at church. There's a difference between saying it and knowing it and actually living it out. Huge difference. And with our speech, when we listen to the Spirit, when we live in step with the Spirit in terms of our speaking, it radically changes how we speak. The Holy Spirit is our compass. The Holy Spirit is our helper. And we think about the fact that God knew, he knew that in our own strength, our lips could not praise him. He knew that in our own will, that what we say cannot Give life. And so in his goodness, Jesus went to the cross. He died for us to redeem every word, to redeem all those times that we messed up, to forgive us of those times that we've been reckless. But then not only that, he was raised on the third day and then ascended and then sent the helper to help us, the Holy Spirit, part of the Trinity, God himself. And so if we're not living in line with the spirit, with our speech, then again, we are just trying to do it all on our own and we're gonna fail. Second Timothy says this, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but he gave us a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. And so knowing that, we have the power of Christ in us to speak redemptively. We have the love of Christ in us to do it from a motivation that actually loves people around us authentically, that we desire to see the lost come to know Christ and that we have self-control that is stronger than the flesh 
that is stronger than our wicked inclinations, that is stronger than our depravity. So we have to live by the Spirit in speaking. And perhaps there, there are some of you here who you've been reckless with your words. Perhaps it was just this morning on the way to church. You said that harsh word to your wife. Are you yelling at your kids because they were annoying you for some reason? Or perhaps it was this week where you wounded a friend. Or years ago, you said words to somebody you, ne- you never followed up to mend that wound. In the same way, perhaps you're someone who has been wounded by words. Because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we can receive forgiveness for those times that we've messed up. Forgiveness for those times when we've been reckless with the tongue. Ask them to forgive us. And in the same way, forgive those who have wronged us with their words. The good news is this. There is redemption in Jesus Christ. There is power in his Holy Spirit to speak as an ambassador of Christ, to be an agent of change in our world that is a planet of death all around us. And then we can pray with the psalmist when he says, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And I love how he finishes that psalm. He gives him the title of rock and redeemer. And he is our rock who is faithful to give us the power to speak right. And he is our redeemer that redeems every terrible word that we've ever said.